it's really under, understanding them and the interrelationship between them and knowing what numbers, uh, what the numbers have to be for, for it to work for your business, because it's a little bit different for everyone. We want you to understand your numbers, not just have an API, plug them in and no one look at them. So if your number is under where expected, it's like, hey, we're under this week because of this, or hey, we're over because we ran this campaign. In the clothing space, if you buy one item, you're actually, in our experience, most likely to buy a second one of that same item, but in a different color. So on today's episode, you're going to find out why knowing your metrics is the single most important thing in e-commerce and why there are absolutely no silver bullets. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kunne Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in the direct-to-consumer selling space. So if you work in marketing at an e-commerce business or a founder, I'm going to help you sell more directly to your customers. Each week on this podcast, I interview an expert, a founder of a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business or representative from a best-in-class e-commerce SaaS product. We're focused in helping you improve e-commerce growth metrics such as your conversions, your average order value, your repeat customers, your audience size, and ultimately sales. Our remit is to help you sell more sustainably. So welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. Now, the episode you're about to listen to is an episode I had with Garrett Ackerson. Um, He is a phenomenal entrepreneur. Um, I personally learned a lot from this episode. He runs a 30 million plus um, you know, um, maternity brand alongside his 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 wife. It's called Kindred Bravery. What's quite interesting is, you know, many years ago, I think it was about five or so years ago, um, he he started it off um, with his wife selling on Amazon. They had a few SKUs, and they gradually started to move it direct to consumer. And they they right now the the makeup of their business is more D to C. Than Amazon. Amazon is, I think, about twenty percent of their entire business, while you know their DTC operations about eighty percent. But here's what you should really, and here's why you should listen to this episode. If you know this is of interest to you, he talked about how they almost lost the business, how they were making money, but they were not making money in the sense that there were sales coming but they were not really seeing profit. And, and so he had to go down to the fundamentals. He went for like an MBA course, not a proper MBA, like a four-day weekend type MBA, um, which he mentions in this conversation generally about you know where he went. I'll, I'll share all the details of exactly where he went. And, and the number one thing he realized off the back of that when, when they're asking him and throwing questions at him was like he couldn't really come up with his numbers. So from there, he started to you know, kind of come up with metrics, you know, key, key metrics. He put together key metrics and individuals that were leaders in specific strategic departments of the organization kept filling the, the metrics dashboard up, simple Excel, Google Sheets, Excel, you know, metrics. And they're able to understand the ebbs and the flows of their business. So they, they, they have a rhythm 
And even with um, with with the iOS changes now, with, with Facebook, with iOS essentially, you know, ruining ruining all the data, you know, on most people's um, on, on most advertisers' dashboards on Facebook, they're still able to use their dashboard to determine how much to spend on Facebook, which I found really really interesting. He's a he's a clever, intelligent guy. I spent over forty minutes speaking with him. There's so much to take from here. We talk about RFM analysis, CLV. You know, you, you get to get into the head of um, you know a, a fast growth company, um, the leader of an e-commerce business, generating you know over thirty million dollars in revenue. You know what? What more can you ask for? Um, so grab your notes, um, listen tight, because I, I actually break down my interview into how was your first million? You know, how was your first 10 million? How does your first 10 million differ from where you are now? What should you focus on if, you know, you're under 10 million and what should you focus on where you, what are you focusing in now that you're 30 million? So there's a ton of um, just advice um, and insights on how to structure your team the things he did earlier, like hiring specialists at the start of his um, of his journey, D to C, and that really worked. So, essentially, you know, Kindred Bravery is interesting as a case study, as as a growth story. And you know, I implore you to to listen to this episode if um, you know this kind of growth stories actually inspire you to to grow yourself. You know, um, and if you think this episode would be of use to any other colleague of yours, any friend, family member, forward it on, please. Um, that's the best you can do. Just share, um, you know, um, information like this um, with other people you think um, will will benefit off the back of it. Um, other than that, um, expect to hear from our sponsors shortly, and you know, enjoy this episode. And I shall catch you on the other side. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Tidio, the top-rated customer experience management platform for online businesses. With Tidio, elevate your sales through personalized shopping experiences. Their state-of-the-art automated chatbots not only engage customers, but also provide product recommendations and exclusive discounts based on their behaviors, driving higher conversion rates. But that's not all. Tedio significantly reduces the load on your support team. Its advanced AI chatbot called Lero swiftly answers 70% of recurring customer inquiries and so eliminates the need for human intervention. Boost customer satisfaction and amplify your sales with Tedio. For our listeners, there's an exclusive offer. Visit tedio.com slash 2x and receive a special 20% discount. Or... Begin with their free plan and consider upgrading later. Don't miss out. Hey, Garrett, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. It's, it's a pleasure having you on. Kunlay, thank you. Looking forward to it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, could you, let, let's get back, let, let's get a backstory. Um, so, so so who is Garrett um, and um, how, how did you, what, what was what was life like before Kindred Bravery? Let's start from there. <laughs> yeah. So prior to Kindred Bravery, I was running a digital design and development company mm-hmm. and really just focused on Drupal development, 
and website design and digital digital advertising for for clients uh, on the B2B side. So I had uh, the opportunity to work with amazing clients and see what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if any one of your listeners has been on the you know consulting or agency side before, they probably know what it's like to look at all these cool companies and think, man, uh, I, I could do that or that would be fun to do that. And so that uh, bug finally hit and that was part of the impetus for starting Kinder Bravely with my wife. Okay, so you're, you're a maternity and breastfeeding apparel brand. Did you have a baby? Did, did that inspire you, a new member of the family? Um, was there any life-changing <laughs> triggers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two boys. Okay. And my wife was breastfeeding our youngest at the time. Mm-hmm. And she simply could not find anything comfortable to wear. And it was, um, she had she had wanted a pair of breastfeeding pajamas and she didn't get anything for Christmas, no fault of my own. And then her birthday is in January and January came around. She didn't get anything for her birthday. Again, that probably was my fault, but I said, I'll I'll take you shopping. So we went to all the local retailers and came up empty handed. And at the time, like I said, I, I kind of had this bug to start something new was looking at, uh, different ideas in the D2C space. And she said, well, what about maternity and breastfeeding? I know what I want. I can't find it. Certainly there has to be other moms out there with the, with the same feeling and the same need. And so that was the spark that started Kinder Bravely. And that's uh, a little over six years ago. Yeah. In 2015. Well, 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 well. okay. So how many skis did you start off with? We started off with one skew. It was a pair of black pajamas in four sizes. Okay. Uh, so that would be four skews. Wow. I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and what was the, what's the feedback loop? What, what, what gave you courage to continue? Um, how did you go to market with those, you know, four skews with, with, the, with the pajama set? So we launched in... May of 2015, mm-hmm. and we launched simultaneously simultaneously on Shopify and Amazon.com. Okay, it was slow going in the beginning. You know, we I, in fact that first order was 250 units, so not a lot of units. Uh, actually, I take that back. It was 400 units, I believe, and we probably gave away late we probably gave away 250 of those okay just to like anyone that would take them to get the word out there like hey these are amazing go leave a review online for us and primarily focused on amazon in the beginning in fact entirely we had a few sales trickle in through shopify but our main focus was amazon getting reviews on amazon at the time a soft lines and clothing was still fairly nascent on on Amazon. It wasn't something they had pushed into a lot. That that being said, it was still a huge business and mm-hmm. there was a lot of search intent there. Mm-hmm. But they weren't who they are today where, you know, now I think they're the largest clothing retailer, larger than the last three combined, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, so we really focused on reviews and product. That first product didn't it did okay. It had great reviews. Um, it didn't sell incredibly well over the summer. 
it did all of a sudden pick up come November, December. We hadn't realized at the time, okay, not many people probably buy pajamas in the summer, but plenty buy them come fall and winter and gift them. Mm -hmm. uh, but then in November, we launched two nursing bras. So mm -hmm. that was really when we saw the first like inclination of, wow, this could be something this, um, this is doing really well. And again, totally from need. Deanne, mm -hmm. my wife at the time, hated anything elastic mm -hmm. around her rib cage because it was just uncomfortable and tight. And, you know, your rib cage is changing mm -hmm. throughout pregnancy and afterwards. And so those first two bras were elastic free. They were really comfortable and they just really resonated with the market. And that was all it took. Those three products, two bras and a pair of pajamas by the end of the first year. And, um, we were confident enough to, I was confident enough to leave my prior position and job at the uh, beginning of 2016 in January of 2016. Incredible. Incredible. So first set of SKUs may fast forward five, six months after you released the, the bras, the traction from there, you know, gave you sufficient confidence, you know, to, 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 to just focus full time. Was all of this on, on Amazon or was this DTC or a blend? It was still 98% Amazon okay. come January of 2016. It wasn't really until I would say November, December of 2017 that we really started pushing into our own store sales on on Shopify. Okay. And, and then, you know, how has the business sort of evolved now? I mean, revenues now are 30 million as at 2020, I believe. Um, and so, you know, where, what is the makeup now? Is it, do you still sell on Amazon? Um, what, what, what was the breakdown? Yeah, we do s still sell on Amazon. It's not the majority of our sales anymore. It's, mm -hmm. you know, in the, ranges anywhere from probably 25 to 30 percent of our sales so still a, a meaningful amount but no the majority of our sales now are through our own site through kindabravely.com very very interesting so how did you wean yourself you know from november 2017 which is not too long ago in in the grand scheme of things um to from you know um pretty much two percent shopify or two percent d2c to 75% D2C, if I'm not mistaken, because there might be other channels you, you might be tapping into. Yeah, no, that's that's quite accurate. I think you know, other channels are maybe contribute 2% of our current revenue. Mm -hmm. And um, how, so the how, that'll probably take longer than a podcast, but <laughs> I, I would say uh, in 2017, we made some strategic hires. So I think first it starts with the team. And we knew, uh, at least I did, coming from an agency background, that I didn't want generalists. So we hired really just some phenomenal team members that were specialists in their area. So we hired four team members all at once. We hired an Instagram manager, a Pinterest manager, a Facebook manager, and an email manager, yeah. all in April of 2017. Well, wow. okay. And uh, just started pushing content on those channels. I think we knew if we were going to do paid social, the base of it is great content. And 
So we backed all that content with paid starting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Starting probably about the same time, April, May of 2017. Uh, that year we won the Shopify build a bigger business competition as one of the eight fastest, uh, growing retailers on their platform Mm -hmm. and it was mostly luck because we just hadn't pushed many or timing i should say we hadn't pushed many sales on shopify Mm -hmm. uh we hired that team you know and come to think of it i think they started in march and we probably really started pushing spend in april Mm -hmm. and the contest happened to be february through like june of that year Mm -hmm. so we went from like a trickle of orders to you know, we were probably doing sixty, seventy thousand dollars a month by the end on Shopify, in mm. uh, you know four or five short months. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was really just team content and paid social. Incredible, incredible. And um, this first time I'm hearing, um, you know, a brand, a uh, startup brand that is, you know, hiring a Pinterest, you know, um, you know, manager, organic Pinterest manager to just manage that channel. And obviously there is a, a match right there from, you know, the Pinterest audience and, and a product. There's just, there's just that fit an audience, you know, product fits or audience brand fits. So, um, what what does the mix look like? Have has has this evolved now in twenty twenty one um in the D two C space? Um, where where you activating um you know um awareness and first time customers um for 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 kindred um, bravery? Yeah, it has shifted. I don't know that it has shifted much. It certainly shifted. Uh, most of our customer acquisition is still, well, and not by much, most is a loose term, but uh, primarily through paid social, mm-hmm. but it has shifted in that it's primarily Instagram. I would say that's our main channel mm-hmm. at this point where customers are, but it's closely, still closely followed by Facebook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work with quite a few influencers now. Mm-hmm. and uh and affiliates and then you know we do a little bit on the podcast sponsor podcasts that are in the mom space mm-hmm. and but new customer acquisition it's still primarily paid social social paid social uh we've been dabbling in tiktok and seeing some initial results there that that look promising mm-hmm. and no paid search again paid search is in there as well i don't think there's any one thing i think there's there's these two kind of warring things as a brand or brand owner one trying to cross all bridges at once i think there's that famous sung zoo quote like he who crosses all bridges at once or tries to cross all bridges at once dies on all bridges mm-hmm. um so we were very intentional in which ones we pick to f- cross first, but still at the same time, we're, you know, we're doing paid search, we're doing paid social, we're doing content. We just layered them in through the years as we had bandwidth and resources, not all in, God forbid, all in one year. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. So if you have been following my journey here on this podcast, you'll know that I'm a co-founder at Octillion, 
a consolidator of digital first good for you CPG brands. We acquire CPG brands with the view of scaling them up. We currently have a portfolio of three brands, all powered by commerce platform Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage startup entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control in every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin shits from Shopify's in-person POS or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. I remember the first brand we acquired was running on another platform with quite poor conversions. We made it a point of duty to get it migrated over to Shopify and our checkout conversions literally doubled. What I love about Shopify is its ease of use. I don't think there's any other e-commerce platform that beats its usability. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24 help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 all lowercase that is go to shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 to take your business to the next level today that is shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 Hey 2Xers, I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for our e-commerce brands. It's called Tread. Tread first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosum. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tread has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tread offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part? Tread works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team. 
Tread can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with Tread, it's clear that Tread is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on treyd.io. That's treyd.io to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So, so you, you talked about... Um, well, we talked about um, back in 2018, um, you know, uh, the, the, there was a very tumultuous period um, for, you know, um, kindred bravery um, because you'd never experienced it before. And it was um, for the first time you, you know, your, your team experiencing unprofitability, you know, over an extended period of time. Um, could you just explain um you know um the, the genesis to 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 the event and the event itself and how you sort of managed to to overcome it and you know to, to where you are now yeah i think it's ironic that in uh, or at least a little bit in 2018 we won the inc 5000 or not one but we were on the inc 5000 list of fastest growing privately held companies we were number 20 i think hmm. and you know, it's kind of a vanity metric because it's looking at top line yep. revenue, which is fun to look at. <laughs> but um, we had five months in a row where we lost money and we were bootstrapped. Hmm. Uh, we'd been bootstrapped all the way until this year. Uh, and it was rough and had just a number of issues that led to us losing money in consecutive months. Uh, probably chief among them was at just advertising costs out of control and out of whack Okay, and, and softer than expected sales. So we ended up, you get in this, I think, position or can as a retailer where you're holding too much inventory. So all your cash is tied up in inventory mm -hmm. and your advertising is not performing as needed or as expected. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you're reliant on paid social, like we were at the time, we're heavily reliant. And uh, so we had a certain amount of overhead costs and then we just didn't know our numbers, like, um, you know, what we needed to make a month as far as, as fixed costs to support, or as far as revenue to support fixed costs. Mm -hmm. And, um, even basic things like, okay, what our average order value is to what our customer acquisition cost is and what that needs to be. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it was probably even until 2019 that we really got a handle on all our metrics and, and it really forced us to, at the time is, um, we had a number of, so there were a couple of things. We had a, a lot of overhead just from SaaS software. So we implemented NetSuite that year, right? huge okay. cost. Mm -hmm. Uh, we moved to our own warehouse again, a huge cost. Mm-hmm had too much inventory. We've made some just bad bets. Like at the time, I think when you're worried and things aren't working, uh, we made some bets on print. I think we spent $20,000 on a print catalog 
and mm. it produced like $500 in sales. Uh, and not to say print doesn't work. Obviously, mm. I, I know some e-commerce owners that works quite well. Mm. Uh, we did a, um, we did a, a crowdfunding, a Kickstarter campaign where we spent like $60,000 on a Kickstarter campaign that didn't go anywhere. Mm. Um, and, and, and it, in hindsight was for a new product and what we really needed to move was existing products. So double kind of whammy there. Right. Um, so, so, so yeah, lots of, think- lo- lots of. So it was it was a accumulation of, you know, bad decisions, you know, which translated in huge overheads, and mm. there was no visibility on a north star metric, no metrics to to guide you. Would you say you didn't even have metrics operationally? So from a you know cost of goods standpoint, or was 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 a back end sorted and you know just more your front end initiatives your your customer facing initiatives that that really had the issues uh, and when did you realize that um okay this was the issue when was the diagnosis actually um revealed to you and who who revealed it for you yeah good questions so it was both the back end and the front end i think at least for me it we had an accounting staff they did provide numbers but without somebody to be able to, or you being the one to look at the relationship of those numbers and say, okay, if our customer acquisition cost is $45 and our average order value is $75, uh, there's not a lot of room there um, to support overhead or to support any mistakes because um, you know, you're not even factoring in cost of gooders or anything else. So. No. Um, I think it wasn't so much that the numbers weren't there. I think in today's world, they're always there. They, sh- they hopefully they're e- pretty easily accessible. It's really under understanding them and the interrelationship between them, and knowing what numbers uh, what the numbers have to be for for it to work for your business. Yeah. It's a little bit different for everyone. So uh, at the time, I think a couple of things we did we were using SaaS, SaaS software to like aggregate and give us a dashboard and all this stuff. It was kind of fancy, but it was always half broken. So you would have to look different places for the numbers or they wouldn't be accurate. Um, it all culminated in September of 2018 when we uh, went to a business conference by Keith Cunningham. It was a four-day MBA in Austin and like went through all the numbers and how they were all interrelated that like, that was a real eye-opener and certainly the turning point of like, okay, this is what what the ratios look like for us. Here's how much we need to make to cover overhead. Um, and and simple things like, why are we spending money on a Kickstarter for a new product when we've got too much existing inventory we've got to move through? Mm. Um, so I think that was the big eye-opener in o- September, early October. We made a couple key decisions that worked. We we were using a couple of freelance um, freelance consultants to manage our paid spend on Facebook, mm-hmm. and we switched to an agency. We vetted a few agencies. We knew an agency that just worked in D two C, and we made that switch in October, and it worked because that November we were back to profitable. 
I never thought, you know, we'd be one of those companies that was in the black on Black Friday, but we were, uh, thankfully. And it was, yeah, one, getting those uh, advertising metrics back in order, really mm -hmm. just getting our customer acquisition costs down. But the big thing for us also at the time was just scaling new customers because we had plenty of inventory. Uh, so we, we were able to do both. Our CAC came way down and we were able to scale, spend up quite a bit. Mm, mm, mm. So the right people, inventory. the right people. And, and what speaks to me here is, um, you know, Keith um, Cunningham, the, um, the 4D MBA, actually checked out his website, not heard of him before. Um, and, and it looks to me like that was very strategic. So that was like at a business level. It was not necessarily you know, um, tactics. It was like, you know, know your numbers. Let, let's understand your numbers. So you got a good hold of your numbers and then you, you sort of, you know, looked to where, who could, you know, change your numbers around. And that's where you got that, um, agency, um, to, to really help you bring down the CAC. And then with existing customers, were you now selling more to them? Like, did you start to activate them, um, via like re-engage them rather via like, um, you know, email campaigns? How did that, you know, sort of, how were you sort of maximizing CLV, especially given the fact that, you know, women only breastfeed for a specific number of years. Obviously, most people decide to have kids, you know, back on back. And, and so that, that helps, you know, that really helps. But, but how did you sort of understand customer behavior on the one hand um, and, you know, maximize CLV to, um, you know, to, to, to really put you in the black? Yeah, so... Certainly that conference coming out of that, one thing we did was throw away our automated dashboard because it just like we could never get it to work perfectly and nobody had true ownership on the team. Mm. So really as, as a founder and owner owning that and then having team members own it, which was the big change. And we just resorted to an Excel sheet of metrics uh, that we eventually you know turned into a Google, Google sheet that had our metrics for, you know, advertising and sales. And, and here we are in 2021 and we still, we we rely on that same sheet. We haven't automated it still pretty basic, but it works because everyone puts in their own numbers. They know their numbers. We as a team know our numbers and what they mean. So I think that was the big, one of the big key things out of that. Okay. And then, like you said, making, making those differences, driving, uh, customer acquisition costs down. Uh, for us, it wasn't so much activating prior customers being in the maternity and breastfeeding space. Uh, Kunli, you you alluded to, it's not a long lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like customer lifetime, uh, other D2C brands, I know the grass is always greener on the other side as a D2C you know, brand owner, you're like, oh, it would be nice to have that audience or this audience. But um we did not focus on LTV. We still don't to this day. Instead, what we did was realize we should focus on AOV hmm. because for us, you know, a mother breastfeeds for uh, six months. So you had mentioned years, not really years. Wow. Um, so, well, in, in the UK, it's, it's slightly, yeah, it's slightly longer. Um, so, so, yeah, it's like I'll just say it's slightly longer. My my, my missus was um she was in, she she was she was a few years ago she was trying to breastfeed uh, our baby 
at um, the doctors and then an elderly woman comes to her and is like, no, 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 no. And then she, an elderly, somebody passes and then she covers herself, right? And, um, you know, she just tries to, to tidy us and straighten herself up because it's, you know, it's in public, you never can tell. And then an elderly lady comes and says, no, 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 continue, continue. Um, I <laughs> breastfed my children till five and I have two doctors, a lawyer, <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so culturally, it's, it's like totally different. You know, most people do it for years here. So yeah. I beg you. <laughs> so well, I digress. So I, it, no, no, that's uh, that's great. I, I think stats in the U.S. are it's like right around fifty percent of mothers mm. are still breastfeeding at six months. Wow! And then it's less than a third are still breastfeeding at twelve months. So there are still, you know, there's still a third of moms breastfeeding at twelve months, mm. but it's again, it's a third. So do you catch them pre prenatal? Um, at pregnancy, so almost like prepping them up so they get the you know their gear more or less um, to 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 be mothers. Or do you do you get them just shortly after birth after they have tried you know the, the rubbish in the market and frustrated with the elastic you know um, options and then you know you have a much more comfortable um, solution um, to to them. We do. Uh, we didn't realize it at the time, certainly not in 2018, but typically she's in the market in like her second or third trimester. Right. So shopping fairly early, uh, or I guess what I would consider early, maybe it's not, but for a breastfeeding brand, you know, we thought maybe it was later and, um, it is earlier than we thought. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so AOV is is you know was your north star, and that really has it probably still is. I really like what you talked about in regards to team members owning their metric on your Google Sheet on your central you know Google Sheet. So to this day, um, do you not use um, you know APIs to to feed the data, and or do, do, do people just individually enter their numbers on a daily basis, weekly basis? How, how does the dashboard work? Yeah. So we're well north of 30 million and team members still enter their numbers every week. They have to be entered by Monday so that management can view them. And you have to comment on the numbers, like why was it above or below or, you know, any extenuating circumstances. So not, we want you to understand your numbers, not just have mm. an API, plug them in and no one look at them. So if your number is under where expected, it's like, hey, we're under this week because of this, or hey, we're over because we ran this campaign. And we can look back now at history now, all the way back to October of 2018 mm. and see all those metrics as well as notes like, oh, we did this here, or we ran this sale here. Um, it's at this point, it's invaluable. Whereas yeah. I think even finding a dashboard where you can mark it up, let alone have it be still functioning and the whole team using it, you mm -hmm. know, three plus years later, pretty, I would think pretty rare. I haven't met anybody else. Impressive, yeah. Discipline yeah. and accountability, really, um, at yeah. uh, that level to, to every, um, yeah, every iota, every, every, just every bit of the company. That's super, super interesting. Okay, so... Um, 
when you were, what, would you say AOV has always been your, you know, your, your North star metric, um, from a market, well, from an op customer optimization standpoint, um, or, um, did that change? So prior to your, to say 10 million, um, what were you looking at? Was it still AOV or, um, has, ha, have things changed over time in terms of like the key metrics that, um, mm -hmm. determine growth at, um, Kindred, Kindred Bravery, sorry. It changed over time. AOV is still our North Star. I had listened to a great episode on why brands should use RFM, recency frequency monetary value versus mm -hmm. LTV, because we're not SaaS companies. Therefore, LTV doesn't apply. Everybody still seems to use LTV, mm -hmm. but realizing that you know our customer probably is not going to be with us that long. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really rewarding as a brand, you know, six plus years in now to, to see moms coming back, customers coming back. Mm -hmm. But still, uh, we're not a, a high lifetime value company. I, I just, by the very nature of our customer, I don't think that's probably ever going to be the case. So for us focusing on a AOV, which is the metric that you would have to follow to make it all work because you're spending to acquire a new customer all the time. So you, your two, our two main metrics on that front are CAC, what are we paying to acquire a customer, and AOV. And if that metric is off, you're, you, you're sunk. It's just not gonna work. Like it's, it's simple math. It's not, you're not gonna work as a business if the margin between your CAC and your AOV aren't supporting you know, your, uh, cost your cogs, your cost of goods, yep. any of your fixed overhead, you know, the team, uh, and all those other costs. So with, with inflation over the years and the fact that you're managing your data, um, have, have you seen your AOV sort of, you know, creeple up? Um, obviously it, it, AOV can, should be engineered. It should be encouraged to be engineered, but, um, has AOV grown um, as you have grown, uh, you know, as a business? I mean, you were, you know, 10 million in 2018, you're 30 million plus now in 2021. Um, is AOV still the same? No, AOV is very different. The business looks very different than it did. A th uh, early on, AOV, you asked earlier, has it always been AOV? It wasn't. I don't think we paid too much. I mean, we knew what AOV was. This certainly wasn't a like the guiding metric. We we certainly track quite a few more metrics than that. But it, as a brand, we're well aware of like okay, what our AOV needs to be compared to our CAC, and we were very intentional about increasing AOV. Uh, so we hired our first dedicated Shopify e-commerce manager in. And I think it was 2018 or 19, might've been 19. And, um, you know, that was the one metric we gave her when she started said like AOV is here, you know, by the end of the year, we want to see it here. So you can do a ton to push up AOV. And, and I think as a, as a DTC, as a brand owner, you definitely should. Like, what, what does she do? 
to what what's what what what, what a few things she did so to, yeah big initiatives for us right from the get-go were how can we better do in cart upsells so you know your ajax cart slide outs mm-hmm. how can you add an add or suggest another item there how can you show your you know, X dollars away from free shipping. So free shipping thresholds can push up AOV. Mm-hmm. So you can you can you can uh, change your shipping thresholds or test different shipping thresholds. Um, and uh, bundling bundling can also be quite effective because you can offer more value, but yet drive a higher AOV. So as whereas if you're just doing twenty percent off. You know, and and somebody's purchasing on average, you know, 1.5 units. You may not be hitting that AOV with the 20% off, but you may be able to offer 25% off on a bundle, but push a higher AOV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I, I think the three big ones for me for D2C brands when you're thinking about your AOV, merchandising better. So you know, frequently bought together on the yeah. PDP page, product detail pages, um, and then bundling on also uh, on the category pages, offering bundles, offering bundles through email as well. Uh, but certainly even on category pages, showcasing bundles or on the homepage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in cart, anything you can do in cart to show, you know, you're, you're close to the shipping threshold and or insert suggested items that get you over the shipping threshold or that, you know, go well together. Simple things too. We originally thought, well, if you if you add a bra to your cart, uh, we should show you underwear or we should show you pajamas. But uh, it, and I would think it's probably similar for other e-commerce owners. I'd love to know. It'd be fun to test. Certainly in in the clothing space, if you buy one item, you're actually, in our experience, most likely to buy a second one of that same item but mm. in a different color so you know if you bought a bra and black why don't you just suggest one in beige mm-hmm. or pink and uh, so just one being diligent about your testing uh and and being very intentional about pushing up aov and mm. what you can do to push it up Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And then, um, what what about other metrics? You know, other key metrics. Were, were you looking? You know, they're the obviously on-site metrics um, and performance marketing metrics. So, so what other three metrics were you using to to really navigate through through um, you know the, the 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 wave of growth? We always look at uh, advertising as a percentage of sales, and we'll look at it by channel. So Facebook spend as a percentage of Shopify sales. Um, that's probably our second biggest one. We know what the range should be. Facebook spend as a percentage of Shopify sales. And if it gets too far above that range, you know we need to dial spend back. It's not efficient. Uh, and again, it's going to eat into that margin where we can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at Facebook ROAS, but really that's from a management standpoint. And it's certainly a, it's not the signal it once was post iOS 14.5. We still look at it, but it's just it's significantly lower in yeah. reporting than it was prior. So 
I, I think post iOS 14.5, we depend more on uh, looking at Facebook spend as a percentage of Shopify sales mm-hmm. versus historicals, and then what we're spending on that cost per purchase. Mm-hmm. Do, do you work with influencers? No ROV. Mm-hmm. Do, do you work with influencers? Oh, yeah. We work with quite a few influencers as well. So we'll track um, influencer spend. So again, that goes back to team members entering their own metrics. So the, the, you know, the team that manages influencers, they'll put in influencer gross sales for the week, how much we spent on influencer spend that week. And then mm-hmm. you can calculate right there your return on as, uh, ad spend. It's not technically ad spend, but return on influencer spend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, okay, makes makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, so you you did mention very briefly um, the fact that um, you just had um, you know external investment into you know, into the brand Kindred Bravery. Um, what I, I would like to think so. Question is, did you really need it or um, was it strategic? It was strategic. Yeah. So we have been bootstrapped and profitable from day one, other than, like I said, 2018 was a was a tough year. We had five negative months. Um, I think that always as a founder probably sits in the back of your head. Like, what if things don't turn out like I expected? Or what if the macro environment shifts so much that you know, we can, we're unprofitable or we cannot continue to grow. Uh, and we found an amazing strategic partner that, um, that we did take an outside investment from in 2021 to really fuel and, and grow the, uh, the brand for this next stage. Do they bring know-how or just or finance or both? Certainly both. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's very strategic. Yeah. Very, very strategic. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, and I think that's probably more the norm than not nowadays. Uh, right. If you're looking at PE firms, most the environment is so competitive overall, uh, Kunle, that if they didn't bring, you know, strategic help as well, I probably not money well spent on their end. I, I, I think a lot just aren't willing to, right? If they're going to invest yeah. that much money, they really want to ensure that you're, you're going to be successful. Absolutely. Especially in the PE front, the, 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 the risk aversion is, is, is airtight. So they must have done their diligence, you know, and, you know, really been happy with your numbers um, to, to, to put in. Um, to, so, so that means you, you've given a bit, bit of equity for, for them to, to be on your board, I would think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about your team. Um, you, one thing that stuck with me was the fact that um, you you had at least at the time of writing, um, reading this bio, um, there were um, the, you, you have a distributed team, um, lots of remote workers. Has this always been the case? Is this still the case? And how do you manage? It is. I think it's another one of our core strengths. Mm-hmm. Being distributed, one. Uh, and two, it, we just have an amazing team. I think it allows us to recruit just top talent. And we've always been location independent. So prior to COVID, it was odd to have, you know, Zoom interviews and a, a remote team. We were certainly in the minority. And then along comes COVID and it was the new norm for a lot of people 
And I think it took an adjustment for a lot of teams. Mm. Whereas for us, it was really, there was no change. It was, hey, this is how we've always functioned. We've always been remote. So we have about 60 team members all across the US, uh, Canada, Ukraine, Philippines. And um, yeah. How do you get everybody together? You have 60 team members distributed. Do you ever have any retreats? Do you come together? Um, you know, specific times of the year, once a year, or um, do do people meet up on the West Coast, or are you always distributed? Are you always remote? I think it's important to get FaceTime and really get that team, um, just team camaraderie, buy-in, cohesion. So mm-hmm. certainly, there's a place for in-person events. We have historically done a an all-team in-person event at least once a year mm-hmm. so everyone gets together. And that is much more just team building, team bonding, working together, having fun together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been really productive doing that. It's fun to see people, you know, IRL and in that in real life, there's some people like I have not met a number of team members in real life still, yeah. particularly with COVID right now. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. We do, you know, typically twice annual manager meetings in person as well. Mm-hmm. But that's not a lot. It's usually two to three meetings a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of the time, it's Zoom and Slack. Okay. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, I can imagine your Slack, your Slack, your company Slack. You probably have, you know, sub Slacks. I, I can imagine. I can just imagine yeah. what your Slack looks like. Um, curveball question: um, You, you're a co-founder with your wife. Um, some um, some listeners are thinking about, you know, running running a business with their partners. Um, do you have any tips? Tips. Yes, tips and you know running Ooh. a business with with your with with your life partner with with your with your yes. missus. <laughs> yes, um, have a very good counselor, <laughs> therapist for the two of you. You know, it's all it, it was all the trend in Silicon Valley to have a startup therapist or mm-hmm. founder therapist. Mm-hmm. So just treat it as that. You're gonna you're gonna need a third sure. party arbitrator sometimes, or just yeah. somebody that's. You know, it's their job to facilitate tough conversations on a weekly basis. No, we 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 certainly didn't do weekly. Probably every you know three to four weeks. Okay. Um, I think that uh, and one you like and that works well. Uh, two, just make sure you have a solid base to fall back on, like something else. Three, I would say, be easy on yourself. Mm-hmm. And realize that you're probably going to talk about work all the time. Fair enough. And, and the children just I, suck it in. Do, yeah. Do the children pull it, up metrics sometimes with your kids? And you're like, <laughs> where did you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for us, it was a double whammy because we had young kids uh, and a young company and the stresses of running a young company. I, um, I, would, I would do it again, certainly. Um, we still have a great relationship at the same time. It's a relief. Um, it'd be a relief to probably do new projects as well. The other thing, I think one of the just hacks that was probably the most helpful from our, our therapist 
was for us to set do not work time. Right. Because we had tried forever to be like, oh, we're not going to talk about work. We're not going to work. Reality is if you're in a startup, you're working 60 hour weeks, probably, you know, we put the kids to bed and work till midnight. And so we just posted on the office, home office door, do not work hours. It was so much easier because it just gives yourself permission to talk about work. Otherwise you're like, "Ah, I don't really want to talk about work. Can I talk about work? Or, um, I'd say that was for me, probably the, the biggest hack that was the most beneficial. Thank you. Thank you for the insights. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, Garrett, I didn't know the conversation was going to, you know, um, pan out this way. I have thoroughly, you know, enjoyed um, this 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 call. Um, but before I let you go, um, we have um, a it, it's it's an evergreen, rapid fire question session. I'm going to ask you five to six questions. If you use a single sentence to answer these questions, you know, um, we're, we're a okay. Um, are you a morning person? Yes. Okay. Do you have a, mo- a daily morning routine? I do. Uh, I wake up, a, a meditate, hit the gym. Sometimes it's reversed, and take a cold shower for at least a minute. And yeah, that's then off to getting the kids ready and getting them off to school. Okay. Okay. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Uh, Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Okay. Not heard of it. We'll check. What are your three indispensable tools for managing your business? Slack, Zoom, Google Sheets. Okay. What has been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Oh, certainly losing money in 2018. It made 2020 a lot less stressful. I know a lot of a lot of co-founders or, or a lot of founders. It was probably really stressful COVID, but for us, COVID was much easier than 2018 on us. Interesting. If you could choose a single book or resource that has made the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Hundred percent. Go read it. The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. The Road Less Stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Garrett, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Two X Ecommerce podcast. Um, thank you. Thank you, Kunle. It was it was fun. It was a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. And um, for those of you who want to check, um, you know, Kindred Bravery out, it's kindredbravery.com. That's k i k i n d r e d b r a v e l y dot com. Um, do you hang out on social? Are you a Twitter person, um, LinkedIn person, or do you just keep? I I do have a Twitter and a LinkedIn. You can find me at Geekerson or at G E Akerson. Okay. Uh, at either of those. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Garrett. Thanks, Kunle. It was fun.